Uh, so we have some professionals, and, and uh, I, I mean, I don't even know all who have been involved in the project for the stage, but they've been doing a fantastic job. They're still working on it. It's just kind of fun to see it in increments. I mean, I know some people are like, let's just get it done. I kind of like the incremental approach. It's kind of cool, like, ah, a little bit more, a little bit here, a little bit there. So I'm excited about it. But it looks pretty good, right? All right. Well, it's enthusiasm. That's great. Fantastic this morning. Um, well, I guess I just kind of want to start off by asking you the question, what gets you to say the phrase, this is the life? What gets you to say the phrase, this is the life? Uh, and I think for a lot of people, it would be some version of, uh, of this on the, on the screen here. <clears throat> if you go to the next slide. We'll just wait around. There we go. <laughs> like palm trees, beaches, blue sand, or blue sand, <laughs> blue oceans, blue sand too, I suppose, if that's your thing. Like, like that, that is the life, right? You're laying in a hammock, and those are the times where just like, ah, oh, this is the life. Like, this is perfect. And, and you'll notice that when you say a phrase like that, I mean, some of you do that occasionally, right? This is the life. Maybe you're posting to Facebook or Instagram or whatever. This is the life. And you take a picture of you on the lake or whatever it is. This is the life. You on vacation, this is the life. But if you'll notice, this is the life is a very narrow set of circumstances. And, and what I mean by that is this. It's, uh, it's, it's when the sun is bright, but not too bright, Right? It's got a very little narrow sliver. It's, it's when there's a breeze, but it's not too windy. It's when uh, you're full, but not too full, because that's not, that's not any good. It's when you're relaxed, but not bored, right? Just relax. Just, it, it's when there's no calls or emails or deadlines, but, but you know people still care about you and need you. Like There's this very narrow window of when you can say a phrase like that, like, ah, this is the life. And it only lasts a short time too, right? I mean, if you're doing that, it's, it's you know, an hour or two, ah, this is the life, and then you got to kind of go on to do something else, kind of get back into real life, but circumstances have to be just right. Like, we never say this is the life when we're in the doctor's office. That never happens. You have never been laying there on the bed without your phone and just, you don't have any responsibilities. The air conditioning is just right. You just don't lay there on that gurney, or I don't know what it's called, gurney, whatever, and say, ah, this is the life I'm about to be probed and picked at. This is the life. Like, you don't think that. You never think about that when you're, uh, you don't use that phrase when you're in traffic. You don't use that phrase when you're cramming for a final, all our students are gone. But when you're like, you're, you're getting ready, if you're in college, you're getting ready for those, those finals or their midterms or whatever. You're not like, ah, this is a life. I love staying up till 4 a.m. to get ready for a test about stuff I don't care about that I'm never going to remember again. This is the life. We never say that phrase in those circumstances. Uh, we never, we, we don't hear that when we're about to meet a deadline. We don't hear that at work. The stars have to align and everything has to be perfect for us to feel like, ah, now life is good. This is the life. And, but the problem is, is the stars aligning can't be what makes life good. Because many of you have been to places where people are supposed to be happy, like tropical countries or Disneyland. Disneyland is called the happiest place on earth. And if you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World or any amusement park, you will see occasionally, maybe not the majority, but you will see miserable people at Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. <coughs> you will see kids crying because they've been out in the sun all day and they need to go home and take a nap, but dad's not willing to go home and take a nap because he paid a lot of money to get here and they're going to enjoy the rides. Stop crying and smile. This is Mickey Mouse land. 
And mom's upset at dad because he's having a cow. And dad's like, we're in debt because we're here. And mom's like, there's just nothing, nothing. There's people who can be miserable in the happiest place on earth. And some of you are like, I would never be miserable at Disneyland. Yes, you can be miserable at Disneyland. Because we know this. We know this at the end of the day that, that this is the life. The good life is not about our circumstances. Because finding the stars aligning and everything being perfect is a difficult thing to do. It's not something that happens very often for us. You'll see people on vacation in tropical countries, on tropical beaches, arguing with their spouse. Like, that's supposed to be the life. How are you having an argument? Well, I wanted to relax, and he wanted to go, and she wanted to stay, and what? You know, I mean, people, it can't be that. The life can't be just this narrow set of perfect circumstances. And we know this, we know this, but maybe it doesn't have much to do with circumstances at all. In fact, maybe it has something more to do with other things going on in our lives. Maybe you can be somewhere that should be miserable. Maybe you could be at the doctor's office. Maybe you could be stuck in traffic. Maybe you could be rushing to meet a deadline, and you still could have the thought that this is life. Maybe that is possible if what we're going to talk about today is true. We have have been exploring uh, some, some ideas about what it means to be in Christ. We've been trying to focus on Christ as a church, which sounds like a dumb thing to say. Oh, good for you. Focusing on Christ at a church of Christ. Wonderful. Very good. But we've been really trying to be, to be true to that. Like, we see this version of God represented through Christ, and we want to know about that guy. We want to know about how he lived and what he did and the choices he made. We want to be followers of this Christ that we see. So we're looking even after, after he, he, he died and rose again and, 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 and ascended, we're looking at circumstances about followers who said, this is what life in Christ is like. And last week we talked about life in Christ has nothing to do with sin. It has, it's a million miles away from that. It's nothing to do with sin, and it's also nothing to do with dismissing sin. It's taking sin seriously and taking forgiveness seriously. Uh, so we looked at Romans chapter uh, 6, and we're going to jump down in the passage a little bit today, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 18. And we're going to read a little bit of a chunk of scripture here that talks about what life in Christ is like. What life in Christ is is like. And this is where, in verse 18 is where we're going to start. <clears throat> you have been set free from sin. It's like we talked about last week. You've been set free, which is an indication that maybe sin is a greater problem than sometimes we give it credit for. But you have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. Well, that's a weird terminology, right? Slaves, he's writing to people, some of whom may have been slaves, but some of whom had nothing to do with slavery. And that was a little bit of offensive. He's like, I'm using an example. I know that's offensive, but I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And he says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, and this is so important too, church. I mean, we know this too. Like you start getting into some bad choices and they just get badder and badder and better. It's like a lie, right? You tell a lie, you tell another lie to cover it up. Like it's ever-increasing. And that's the nature of sin. We just, it's, it's a spiral, a death spiral. We've got to pull out of it, right? He says, you used to do this to impurity, ever-increasing wickedness, wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. And I think the implication is ever-increasing righteousness. You, you just tend to get better and better and better, make better choices. Although sometimes our lives don't feel like that, right? In terms of morality. <clears throat> and this righteousness leads to holiness, which is a great word we should explore in some sermon. He says, verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Righteousness didn't have any influence on you, uh, which is not a nice thing. It's not a good thing. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? 
Was it, did that turn out well for you? No, no, it didn't. Like, bad choices, they don't turn out well. Even when we're making them, we're like, mm, I'm about to do something wrong, and I know it's not going to turn out well, and I'm going to do it anyway. It's like, did that, did that reap any benefit? No, it didn't. He goes, those things result in death. Well, obviously, they can result in physical death, but just like death, like you as a person, like dead, like dead inside. And I think that's, that's important to remember. He says, but now, this is you now. But now you, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. Well, that sounds nice. Okay. All right. Death. I don't like that. Let's not go there. Life. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And then he says this verse, verse 23, one that many of you are familiar with. For the wages of sin is death. The compensation that you receive from sin is death. But the gift, not something you can earn, something that is given to you, of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, <clears throat> our Lord. A few years ago, I read an article about a lottery winner uh, that had, had waited five years to claim his prize money, which I didn't know you could do. I didn't know there was a, like, I, did, I, I don't know why you would, right? If, if you were a lottery winner and you have the winning lottery ticket and you're like, you know what, I think I'm going to give it half a decade before I claim this, right? Most of us would be like, we would be gone. If we were at work and we found out that we won the lottery, we would talk to our boss, I'm sure in a very polite way, and say, I no longer require the services of your employment. I'm gone. And we would be down to the lottery factory or I don't know where they do this stuff. And we'd pick up our bags of cash and we'd be off to the Caribbean. That's probably what most people do. And I know some of you are like, no, 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 no. I would be sensible and I would pay off my debts, and I would give money to the church, and I'm sure you would, but you'd probably still come to church next week in your private helicopter. You'd be like, oh, just, it's, it gets good gas mileage, or whatever. Like, you would make some sort of luxurious choice, because you are now a lottery winner. And so this guy won five million dollars in the lottery. Five million dollars. I mean, there's more, but that's pretty good, right? Pretty good. I think most of us would be like, okay, I'm buying a new house, buying a new car, going on vacation, whatever, whatever the, the typical things that we would do. This guy was a convenience store clerk, and he said, uh, so he waited five years. Does that not boggle anybody else's mind? Five years to claim his lottery money. And so when he went and did, they were like, why did you wait so long? And it wasn't like he forgot. He's like, oops, yeah, that's right. I do have $5 million waiting for me. It wasn't that. He said, you know what? I had a girlfriend at the time. Uh, I was hoping to get married to her, get engaged, get married. I just didn't want the money to mess up my life. And I was like, this guy, who is this guy? Like, is this, this guy must be such an incredible human being to think, like, to actually do what we all think we would do. Like, to actually wait. He said, I really wanted to develop my relationship with my girlfriend and get engaged. And just, you know, I just didn't want the money to go to my head and mess anything of my life up. And I'm like, that is incredible. Here is a person, somehow, who works as a convenience store clerk. And he understands that happiness and life has nothing to do with those things that we think happiness and life have to do with. He somehow managed to separate the two. That's amazing. I think we all think we would in theory. I don't know that we actually would in practice if we were, if we were given just a ton of money like that. So he kept his convenience store job and lived a normal life. Kept it all on the down low for five years. And then five years is the deadline. So a few days before the deadline was about to hit when he wouldn't be able to claim his money, he went in and claimed it. He, had been, he was married at this point. I mean, wow. I was like, this guy is kind of my, my own new personal hero. 
Like, who could, like, I can understand, I, 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 you hear about people going through hard times and just, like, keeping their head up and keeping their faith, and that's amazing. But you rarely hear about people going through incredibly good times and that not affecting them sometimes in negative ways. There's books that have been written about lottery winners, and their lives are just ruined by the lottery. And I was like, who is this guy that he can, like, understand that life is not about this stuff that we think, this narrow sliver of light that we think will make us happy, conditions being perfect that we think will make us happy. It's not about that. It's not about the money. And, and honestly, I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm being real, at the end of the day, I, I want some version of that for myself. I want to be going through any circumstance and still feel like I can live above it and, and not because I know I have a lottery ticket, but because I know I have a relationship with God. At the end of the day, that's what I want. Whether the circumstances are good or whether they're bad. Paul wrote in another uh, section in Scripture, he said, I have learned how to live without and I have learned how to abound. I have learned how to do both. And I, I'm, that's something I can relate to. I want that. I don't want, I don't want to have bad days because something dumb happened. And I don't want to have good days because something dumb happened. I want my joy and my happiness and my understanding of what is, is valuable and worthwhile in life to be attached to my faith in God, which does not change. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a fairly good goal, right? I mean, I think that sounds good to me. I like that. I want, to per, I want to be a person who values my family and my relationships above all else that I don't mistreat my wife or I don't mistreat my children because I had a bad day in some other circumstance. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be a person who doesn't get upset about the petty things in life. I mean, this is dumb. It's not like a huge life goal. It's not number one on my list, but I don't want to get upset in traffic, right? I don't want that. I don't want some driver from Wisconsin to ruin my day, right? I don't want that. Sorry, Wisconsinites. I just don't want that anymore. I don't want to be controlled by the circumstances of my life, good or bad. I don't want that. I want to be a person who has contentment and meaning and happiness, but not because everything in their life is perfect. Does the Bible address that? I think so. I think so. I think we just read a passage about this. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, well, sure. Someday in the future, things will be good. Someday in the future, we'll be on that beach, you know, in eternity or whatever. The eternity is a palm tree on a tropical island or whatever you think. Oh, sure, someday, but here and now we're going to be miserable and we're just going to have to buckle down and get through it. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think that's what the Bible is about. On the 4th of uh, July, I don't know if it's been different this year. I feel like it has, but it felt like there's been about a million more fireworks set off. Uh, it started weeks early at 3 a.m., and I'm just like, where? Wh- how do you, uh, why are you up at 3 a.m. setting off fireworks in my neighborhood? But it just, like, it's been going forever, and so kind of we got to the 4th, and I was just kind of done with fireworks. I just, it didn't do anything for me. And so I didn't make any plans to go see a big fireworks show on the 4th of July, 10 o'clock at night, little kids just didn't, didn't do it. Um, well, evidently my son had made plans in his mind. He's five, so he doesn't really control much of our calendar or, you know, our schedule, but he had made plans. And uh, so at about 10 o'clock at night, he's still up, bad parent. He's still up and he hears fireworks going off. And he understands that he is missing out on seeing the fireworks. It's late. He doesn't have the emotional stability yet to understand he can control his, like, attitude even if he's tired. So he, and, and, uh, he comes unglued, 
like emotionally unglued, unhinged almost. Like, have you ever had a kid do that? And you're just like, what is wrong? Like body shaking. And he's like, I wanted to see fireworks. And you know, as a parent, I'm like, you need to calm down, buddy. Like you need to relax because this is fireworks are not that big of a deal. And so I'm like thinking, this is what I tell my five-year-old, buddy, don't worry. Next year, we'll make sure to go see the fireworks. Now, if you're five, 365 days, you might as well be telling them like when you're 80, it doesn't matter. It's a lifetime away. He's a five-year-old. He does not understand the concept of in a year, we will take you to see the fireworks. It's just like, why? It's just that. How does that help me now? Daddy didn't say that. Like, I need fireworks now, you know. He was so upset about it. And I actually literally, this is kind of dumb, but I jumped in my car and I went to try to see the tail end of the fireworks. And I may have been speeding. We're like, I'm going to get you some fireworks, buddy. You know, we're Italian job driving down the road. And, I, and finally we get to this place where I think maybe we can see them. And I pull up and there's this big tree and the fireworks are going on behind the tree. And I'm like, buddy, can you see the fireworks in the tree? And he's crying and it's just awful. And finally the grand finale and we go home and Liam didn't get to see fireworks. So I'm assuming that whatever trauma he has later in life can probably be traced back to this moment. So when he's talking to his therapist, he'll be like, my dad didn't take me to see fireworks when I was five. <laughs> Fortunately, I was like, I was feeling like a bad parent, and we got home, uh, and I was like, man, buddy, I'm so sorry. I'll, like, make it up to you. We'll go buy clearance fireworks tomorrow and set them off. You know, I was, like, trying to just figure out how to help them understand that, like, we, you can, things will be okay now. It won't just be a year from now, and we happen to have bought fireworks last year that we had at home, and so we got set off fireworks, and he didn't care if they're the big ones, the small ones, so we had a good time. It all worked out okay, but trying to tell him, don't worry. You'll be happy in the future. Things will be good in the future, I think is like when we hear, okay, when you die, you can be with God, and things will be okay, and we're like, okay, that's great. I want to look forward to that, but does, does this truth not change my life now? Is there no hope for now? Like today, do I just have to be miserable day after day after day after day in hopes that someday it will all pay off and things will be good? And there is an element of truth to that, right? We will never achieve like this full satisfaction here and now. We just won't. Life is not built that way. But is it just hopeless? Like we're just going to have to muddle through our days, head down, just plowing through. Hopefully we'll eventually achieve some sense of happiness. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Oh, maybe in the future this will happen. Maybe someday, maybe someday forward. I think it's maybe better than that. When we hear the phrase eternal life in this passage, we naturally assume that's the future. That's paradise. That's some time with God, some, something different than here and now. But the phrase eternal life is actually all over the New Testament. It's used in a lot of different ways in some pretty surprising ways. But even, even before that, outside of the scripture, in rabbinical literature, the phrase is used. It's, it's, a, it's Jesus, when he talked about eternal life, and Paul, when they talked about eternal life, they weren't, they weren't starting a new idea. They weren't like, hey, guess what? There's this new thing you've never heard of. It was something that they knew, something that people were familiar with, this concept of eternal life. Um, I, I, how, how many of you, I, I kind of enjoy, uh, I, I don't understand it, but I kind of enjoy the English language and all its weird uh, idiosyncrasies. Like, I just, it's so strange. Like, you, the things that we do. Uh, did you know the word idiom is, the definition of the word idiom is a collection of words that doesn't have an apparent meaning outside of that grouping. So, so for example, when you say something like, um, turn over a new leaf, right? Somebody that doesn't understand the background of that phrase is going to hear that phrase and be like, what are you talking about? Turn over a new leaf. Okay, what does that do for me? 
I was reading a little bit this week about idioms from other countries, and, and their meanings are not apparent. So, so, for example, if you're in Sweden, and somebody is in a conversation with you, and they say, there's no cow in the ice. What do you think that means? There's no cow in the ice. You're looking at your ice like, oh, yeah, you're right. There's no cow in there. Anybody have any clue what that means? Yeah, uh, you got a guess? Let's hear it. That's right. That's right. That's exactly it. There's no cow in the ice. Calm down. Relax. Everything's okay. There's no cow in the ice. Right? That's free. You can use that this week. Somebody's getting a little worked up. You know, maybe they're in traffic and somebody cut them off. You'd be like, there's no cow in the ice. Just relax. No cow. If, uh, if, you, were in, uh, if you were in Portugal or maybe Brazil uh, and heard the phrase, pay the duck, what would that mean? Pay the duck. You need to pay the duck. And you're like, what duck? What kind of currency do ducks accept? Like, what, what is this? What, is, what do you mean? Does anybody have a guess? Oh, my in-laws here. The smart people in the room. All right. Pay the, pay the bill. You got to pay the bill. You pay the piper. You know, we say things like that. Pay the duck. Pay the duck. Next to, at lunch today, when it's, you know, you're out with lunch with somebody, and your wife can be like, hey, you need to pay the duck. You're like, oh, pay the duck. We have phrases like that, though, too, right? We have phrases. Uh, how about curiosity killed the cat? What does that mean? It means don't be curious, right? Don't be inquisitive. Don't expand your understanding of the universe. Curiosity killed the cat. Uh, does anybody know the, the response to that phrase when someone's like trying to argue back against that phrase? Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. How many of you knew that? How many of you? Uh, you are learning today. This is fantastic. So next time somebody's like, curiosity killed the cat, don't be so nosy. You can be like, satisfaction brought it back. So like there's this response you can have. And we've got some idioms like that. How about this one? But if you didn't know, like if you didn't know what that meant, curiosity killed the cat. How about this one? The more things change. What's the second part to that? That doesn't make any sense anywhere. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't even know what that means, and I'm a native English speaker. I speak English fairly well. I'm, I'm okay at English. I don't know what that means. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I guess maybe the more, I don't know. I don't even want to take a guess because I don't know what that means. It's almost nonsensical. How about this one? I've heard this a number of times in my life. Speak of the devil. And this always happens as you walk into a room and people are sitting around. And they're like, oh, speak of the devil. And you're like, wait, what? Huh? It never feels like it's a positive thing. Like, oh, we were just saying nice things about you. Speak of the devil. Does anybody know the rest of this phrase? What's the rest of this phrase? And he shall appear. Speak of the devil and he doth appear. And that's what it comes from. It's this old quote about superstition. Don't talk about the devil because the devil will show up. So it just got translated into this like concept of like, if you speak about somebody, they'll show up. And then you show up and speak of the devil. And you're like, hey, that's offensive. What are you doing? How about this? The early bird gets the worm. But, anybody know the second part? That's right. The early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. So when somebody's like, oh, you slept up, slept in, early bird gets the worm. You can be like, hey, second mouse gets the cheese. There's upsides to sleeping in. That's right. How about, uh, how about this phrase? <clears throat> Cursed are they who set aside eternal life. Now, this one may not be as familiar because this is a Hebrew idiom that we're not nearly as familiar with. Cursed are they who set aside eternal life. And the second part of which is to occupy themselves with the temporary or temporary life. 
Now, we hear that phrase, and we're like, okay, I get that. I understand that. Like, people who just get engulfed and overwhelmed and overcome by the petty things in life. Cursed are they who set aside eternal life to become engulfed in the petty things, in the temporary things, in the things... In contrast to temporary life, it was a way of thinking about, listen, this is important, eternal life was about the future. It was, but it wasn't just about the future. It was a way of thinking about your life now and handling and getting perspective on your life now. Eternal life was now, not just then. And that is a really important point because it seems to me that human nature, it's, or rather it is human nature to become preoccupied with the temporary or the petty and neglect. Have you ever felt like that? Or have you ever felt, well, not you, other people, right? But it seems like it's human nature. And the Hebrew person might have said it's human nature to become preoccupied with the temporary and neglect the eternal. So in part, when we read in the Bible eternal life, they're not just talking about a future and a paradise. They're talking about now. They're talking about things that we have now. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is not something, this is not something new. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes now. We regard those things now. We prioritize our life through these things now. This is something that happens now. You've seen people get worked up about stuff that doesn't matter. I know you don't, but other people. Earlier this week, I guess maybe it actually was a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> there was a couple of neighbors. This has happened in Indiana. A couple of neighbors that got into a gunfight, shooting at each other like the wild, wild west. Do you know what it was about? It was about their property line and whether or not the fence was six inches too far one way. And they were shooting at each other about that. Does that not seem a little petty? That seems a little ridiculous. I mean, the guy, there's footage of it. The guy is on his riding mower with a gun. Like it's the Wild West. And you're just like, guys, this is not a big enough deal. Put up a six-inch fence. It solves the problem. That is crazy. We've never gotten upset at our neighbors about something small, have we? Goodness. Like, like thank goodness we're not like those other people. We've never gotten upset at other people in traffic for doing something dumb. Oh, good thing we're never petty and we forget the eternal. Good thing we never do that. I hope you hear my sarcasm because I think we do do these things. And maybe my thing isn't gunfights over property rights, but my stuff is just as petty. Oh, confession time. Okay. I, uh, a couple, a week ago, two weeks ago, I don't know, recently, way too recently, uh, I got uh, upset at my beautiful bride. Um, she would hate me calling her, her my beautiful bride. That might make her upset. Um, but I, I got upset, and I got upset for three reasons, three things. Three things she had done that so egregiously offended me and bothered me that, that I was so upset about these things. And I let her know immediately that I was upset about these things in a very calm, controlled manner, very nice words that I said, no, nah, not true. But I, you know, I was annoyed, upset, and bothered me. He did these three things. This is true. About 48 hours later, uh, we were in a situation, and I don't remember if she or if I brought it up, uh, but she's like, uh, what were you saying that you were upset about? And I was like, well, if you cannot remember what I was upset about, obviously, you know, like I'm getting all worked up. But you know what the truth is? I could not remember what I was upset about. I literally could not 
bring to mind what two days, 48 hours earlier, that I was mad enough that I was willing to start an argument. Two days later, I, wasn't, I couldn't think about it. Ah, I was like, I don't know. It must have been bad because I remember being upset. No, it was petty, and it was dumb, and I was, I was risking my relationship with my spouse over it. I had forgotten what is eternal, this person, this relationship, and I had way overemphasized the temporary. You know my lottery hero I was telling you about? I looked him up recently just to see how life was after winning the lottery. <clears throat> He's in prison. You know Why? That winning lottery ticket, he was a clerk at a convenience store, and a guy came in and handed this lottery ticket to him for him to check, and he stole it from the guy. My, my hero, my moral hero is just as petty as the rest of us, because this is human nature to, to forget what's really important and focus on the temporary and the things that don't matter and some of you are like, well, wait a second. Okay, eternal life, it still is in the future. The Bible is very clear that eternal life is in the future. Oh, let me quote you some words of Jesus in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. You can look at, if you don't believe, maybe you think I'm like rephrasing things up here. Look it up. Very truly I tell you. And Jesus used that phrase when he was like, listen guys, seriously, what I'm about to say is a big deal. And it's true. Very truly I tell you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's important. It's important to know that we as Christians just aren't buckling down and plowing through the difficulty that God has given us right now the gift of eternal life, like Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, that God has given that to you in Christ Jesus. I don't, I'm not a big fan of waiting rooms. I'm not a big fan of lines. Some people will see a line and think, ooh, there must be something good at the end of that. Let's get in the end of this. No, like I'll walk into a, uh, how, how many of you, maybe some people are at least like me, you walk into a, a restaurant and you walk in and the hostesses, hosts, hostesses, whatever dinner, they're always a little bit, if there's a wait, there's always a little bit uh, uh, like a snootiness to them. Have you ever experienced that? You walk in and you're like, oh yeah, we have two. Uh, oh, well, that will be a 90 minute wait you know, if, if you petty people want to sit here and wait out that time. They're, I feel like they're always a little rude. Maybe that's just me interpreting. Uh, and I'm like, 90 minutes? Forget you. I can go to McDonald's and have a hamburger in 30 seconds. 90 minutes? Your food is not that good. It's not worth 90 minutes of my time. And some of you are like, 90 minutes? That sounds great. Like, we've been trying to get in this place for weeks. No, I don't like lines. I don't like waiting rooms. I hate going to the dentist and waiting in the waiting room. And the dentist goes long and you're just like, ah, especially if you don't have your phone and you're just reading old magazines. I hate that feeling of waiting around for something. But honestly, church, I think we think that Christianity is just a giant waiting room till we go to eternity. And God has promised us eternal life here and now. Our lives now can be eternal because of Christ, because we are in Christ. We're not just waiting in the waiting room for things to happen. God has given us jobs to do now. He's given us purpose now. He's given us meaning now. He's given us the opportunity for satisfaction and contentment right now. We can have eternal life in Christ Jesus. We believe as Christians that we have eternal life after death, but we think we have eternal life before death. And it feels like a lot of Christians don't buy that second part. They're just biding their time, arms crossed, 
faces set, mm-hmm. life, can't wait till I die. <laughs> when I die, things will be good. That's when I'll really get the good stuff. And God's saying, no, I've given it to you now. For some people, their, their vision of Christianity is just like a waiting room, just sitting in chairs. That's all it is. And I think this is important to understand. And church, I just want you to hear this. If focusing on our eternity doesn't impact our present, we have missed the point of both. If focusing on our eternity doesn't impact our present, we have missed the point of both. C.S. Lewis, eternally quotable, he says, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. If you think this is the best that it gets, your property, you might as well get in a gunfight about the six inches of your property line. If this is all you've got, if this is all there is, if this is all that life has to offer us and God has to offer us, of course, get furious at the other driver because they're impeding your your ability to get home quickly because this is all there is. This is all the life we have. We might as well make mountains out of molehills because this is all we got. If we believe that, if we believe this is it, of course, you should get upset at that person who owes you 20 bucks from 10 years ago because this is all there is. This is all we have. Of course, you're just living for the weekend because this is it. The weekend's it. You've only got so many of those. That's it. There's no reason not to be petty. There's no reason not to be vindictive. There's no reason not to be easily offended. But imagine how different life could be if we really believe Romans six twenty three: The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How different would our lives be? You know what? We would be harder to offend. Because we'd be like, man, I got bigger fish to fry than getting upset about some dumb thing you said. I got bigger things going on. I, I got more important things to be worried about being generous. Because I'm ge- I got bigger things. I, sure, I'll be generous. I'll give you some money. No problem. I got bigger things. I'm not so worried about my 401k. Because there's more to life than my 401k. I got bigger things going on. And this shift in perspective is exactly where this is the life comes from. It's not the perfect temperature. It's not sipping lemonade under the shade of a palm tree on the beach with no deadlines in sight. It's not, none of that, that pales in comparison to the good life. And you can experience the good life in Christ in hospital rooms. You can experience the good life in Christ in waiting rooms. You can experience the good life in Christ in traffic. You can experience the good life in Christ with diagnosis from the doctor that you don't want to hear. You can have the good life because God has given it to you in Christ Jesus. God has given it to you. That's a gift. We've just forgotten that we have it in our pocket. We have so, something so much better than the world around us. I want to read this passage, Romans chapter 6. I want to read verse 18 through verse 23 one more time as we wrap up. And I just want us to kind of just read it in light of what he's really talking about, what's really going on, what's really, what our lives are really about. And he says this, verse 18, you have been set free from sin. Did you hear that? You in Christ. You have been set free from sin. Those, that holding you back and holding on to you, that doesn't exist anymore. That's in your mind. Because Christ has set you free from sin. And you have become slaves to righteousness. Now your, your options are limited. You, you ask questions like, is this righteous? All right, I'll do it. Is it not righteous? I'm going to avoid it. I've been set free from that. 
And he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. But just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves, make this choice as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time? Was that the good life? Was that the good life? No. No. It's not the good life. Verse 21, what benefit did you, excuse me, what benefit did you reap at the time from those things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You don't want that. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life, something that you can possess right now. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. A church, man, that should change our Sunday afternoon. That should change our Monday morning. That should change something. We have been given eternal life now. God has said, here you go. You have it. Does that affect us? Man, you better believe it. If it's not, we're missing out. We are missing out if we're just bogged down in the mundane, petty details of the things we can see. God says, let's focus on the things that we can't see, the things that don't matter, the things that are eternal. That's what you possess as Christians. We're going to wrap up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful to be able to, to, to remind ourselves of some truths that sometimes I know we get, sometimes I understand, uh, but I just, I forget in the, in the mundane details of life, I forget that I have something so much greater, so much better, so much more satisfaction, so much more meaning. So I pray for myself and this church family that we would leave here with a renewed sense of what really matters and what you have already given us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand that we are in Christ as children of you, as people who have made a choice to dedicate and follow you. I I pray that we would understand we're no longer slaves to, to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Help us live that out this week and help us understand our eternal life in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.